0: welcome to the heartland free sermon podcast we're so happy to have you if you're a first-time listener and you would like to get to know more about us as a church click the link in the podcast description and if you'd like to fill out our online connection card you can do that there as well thanks for joining us and let's get into a fantastic message young king saul was a rock star at least he had the charisma of a rock star dashing good looks, powerful physique. Saul stood head and shoulders over his fellow Israelites while the prophet Samuel, he was so impressed when he first laid eyes on Saul. Best of all, Saul displayed a shy humility that warmed Samuel's heart. At the very moment the prophet prepares to anoint him as king, 1 Samuel 10, tells us, Saul is found hiding among the baggage. And when some oppose his coronation, Saul is gracious in refusing to retaliate. But that shyness quickly evaporates when the city of Jabesh is threatened in chapter 11. Saul summons the 12 tribes to battle. 330,000 soldiers respond to the call, not only defeating the Ammonites, their longtime nemesis, but chasing them all the way back home and annihilating them. The whole nation rejoices and gathers to celebrate this amazing victory. And their young king was a man of the hour. We all long for that, don't we? to be appreciated, to be validated, to know that we are making a difference. And then the tide turned. 1 Samuel 13, 14, and 15 detailed the shocking turn of events that led to Saul's rejection as king. First Samuel 13, Saul is commanded to wait for Samuel to offer sacrifices to God but he doesn't wait. And he loses his dynasty. His descendants would not rule Israel. Chapter 14 Saul makes a foolish vow that almost costs the life of his son, Jonathan. In this chapter, Saul loses the respect of his army. And although they were victorious in battle, the Israelites had lost confidence in their young king. Chapter 15, Saul disobeys God again. He's given clear instructions, blatantly disobeys, and worse yet, he blames his faults on others. This time Saul loses not only his dynasty and the respect of his army, he loses his kingdom. Verse 26, Samuel says to him, you have rejected the word of the Lord so the Lord has rejected you as king. Ominous words. Bang, 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 the gallant King Saul, the rising star of Israel, is now the falling star of Israel. Have you been there? (laughs) Someone falls in love with you, and then someone falls out of love with you. One day the boss is bragging on you. The next day he's threatening to fire you. And you uh, experience this roller coaster. They love me, they love me not. For Saul, just as the wheels are coming off, a young shepherd boy from Bethlehem begins to turn heads. The slingshot that fell Goliath grips the entire nation. First Samuel 17 details this story. At first, Saul joins in the celebration. He, he too is impressed by the young lad and invites him to come to the palace. But soon the green-eyed monster of envy rears its ugly head. Paranoia strikes fear in the heart of Saul. An ally quickly turns to a rival. But it didn't need to happen. The legacy of King Saul was very secure. His name was still revered by a grateful nation. In fact, they wouldn't even be a nation apart from Saul's dynamic leadership. Their appreciation for their beloved king was deep. It was heartfelt. As Josh McDowell and Ben Bennett share in their book, Free to Thrive, the longing to be appreciated. It's a noble desire. We want to live lives that are significant. We we long to make a difference. That is a God-given desire. But like all desires, it can spin off into directions that are dangerous. Instead of accepting the will of God, King Saul pushed back. And the more he pushed, the greater the damage until he virtually became an open enemy of God. The 1997 TV miniseries David tells a shocking story of Saul's demise as he visits the Witch of Endor. Leonard Nimoy You may remember him as Spock in the original Star Trek series. Leonard Nimoy stars as the prophet Samuel without the pointy ears. When Nimoy Samuel appears from the dead, let me tell you, that's an unforgettable scene. Spock comes back from the dead. The very next day, Saul is prophesied to die. But it didn't need to happen like that. First Samuel chapter 18 unfolds the story of what happens when our God-given desires they, to be appreciated when they spin out of control. So today we're gonna take a close-in look at three downward steps in the decline of King Saul. The first is the foolishness of comparing deeds. Folks, the comparison monster. You ever wrestle with the comparison monster? You know, you're looking on Facebook. One of your friends is in Tahiti. They're on the beach. And you're thinking, oh, why can't that be me? After David killed Goliath, Uh, 1 Samuel 18 6 tells us what happened next. When the men were returning home after David killed the Philistine, the women came out of, uh, from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs and tambourines and lutes. And they were dancing and they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him, and from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. You know, it really is a fruitless exercise to compare yourself to someone else. Every cell in your body is genetically different than the person sitting next to you. Even among identical twins, mutations and environmental factors can lead to certain advantages or disadvantages. A few weeks ago, Sue and I watched a 30 for 30 documentary, I Hate Christian Leitner. Even 20 plus years after graduating from Duke, he was still voted the most hated player in collegiate sports. Some of that he brought on himself with his arrogant demeanor. Some of it was just plain envy. Some complain he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, but he really wasn't, he grew up in a blue collar home. Others point to his 6'11 height, his natural athleticism, but Coach K says Christian worked his tail off. Was he born with some advantages? Absolutely but you were too. In fact, if you were born in the USA, you have already won the lottery. You were born into one of the richest nations in the history of humanity. You have better access to good healthcare than anywhere on the planet. You have more opportunities to get a good education, good job than anywhere else. And, thank God, we are still blessed with freedoms most of humanity only dream of having. And yet, despite all of these blessings, we have to be, as a nation, one of the most discontented people groups on the planet, don't we? I mean, we complain about virtually everything. And if someone gets an itsy-bitsy head start on us, we cry bloody murder. Long and the short of it is we have a hard time enjoying the fruits of our labor because of this incessant need to keep up with the Joneses. As 1 Samuel chapter 18 begins, if the nation of Israel had done a poll on the most admired person in the land, King Saul would have finished either first or second. Not too shabby for a guy that grew up in the smallest of the 12 tribes of Israel in a clan that was the least of all the clans. But he couldn't enjoy it at all because of the upstart David who was getting a little positive press. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Remember how the story goes? Every day the mirror tells the evil queen, oh my queen, you are the fairest in the land. The evil queen is always pleased because the magic mirror never lies. But one day the mirror responds, my queen, you are the fairest here, so true. But Snow White Beyond the Mountains is a thousand times fairer Than you. The queen is furious. She summons the huntsman to kill the beautiful Snow White. Envy and jealousy, they're tormentors, aren't they? King Saul couldn't enjoy the blessings he had, the accolades he received, because he feared that someone might have a little bit more. So how do we combat this temptation to compare ourselves to others? Well, first of all, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you must remember that there is only one who is the fairest and greatest of all time. It's not you, and it's not me. He is the one and only King of Kings. So who finishes second? You know, Jesus actually had something to say about that. Matthew eleven eleven, he says, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You know, that tells us that God does not measure greatness like we do. Jesus said, the first Shall be last, and the last shall be first. Even the great John the Baptist said of Jesus, He is the one whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He must increase, and I must decrease. Once you see yourself with that kind of clarity, only then can God use you to the utmost. The Apostle Paul put it like this, 1 Corinthians 15, 9. For I am the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. You see, Paul knew that he was nothing apart from God. And yet with the Lord, his potential was limitless. The very next verse, after Paul describes his unworthiness, he says this, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Now imagine if King Saul could have had that kind of attitude. Imagine if King Saul could have accepted the Lord's discipline with some measure of grace. Imagine if King Saul could have said, you know what, I blew it. And I'm dealing with the consequences of that, but now I'm going to finish well. I'm going to work hard for the Lord. I'm going to use my gifts and talents for his glory and not my own but he didn't do that, did he? How about you? Do you know it's never too late to do the right thing? Let's move to the second downward step in the decline of Saul. The futility of seeking control. You ever wrestle with a control monster? Ooh, that's a monster every bit as wicked as the comparison monster. Verse 10 says, the next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul and he was prophesying in his house. This means that Saul was under the influence of an evil spirit because of Saul's disobedience. God had allowed this evil spirit to afflict him and to incite him to act violently. The Bible says this happened while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. And Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it and he said to himself, I'll pin David to the wall, but David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had left Saul. Ominous words, as in it? Do you ever struggle with wanting to control a situation? You know, like King Saul there, well, I'll take care of this. Have you ever felt like the more you try to control something, the less control you really have? One Bible scholar calls it the uh, principle of reverse returns. My grandma used to say, the faster I go, the behinder I get. (laughs) The more Saul sought to hold David down, the the more the Lord elevated David. Saul sends him into battle. Verse 17 tells us what he's thinking. Saul says to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do the dirty work. But what happens? David wins the battle and becomes more famous than ever. Then Saul's daughter falls in love with David. (laughs) And now Saul is licking his chops. Now he's got David right where he wants him. So David names the bride price to marry his daughter. I want a 100 dead Philistines. So what does David do? Goes out and kills 200 Philistines and becomes more famous than ever. Now, of course, you can see this principle of reverse returns often in Scripture. The more God's enemies come against them, the more God's people prosper. And by the way, I think that is very true in our day and age today when the church has tremendous enemies on every side and we turn on the news and we get defeated. You know what? God has a way of shining brighter in those times than ever before. Amen. The more God's enemies came against them, the more God's people prospered. For example, look at what happened to Jacob when he goes to work for his father-in-law Laban. Genesis 31 tells the story. Laban kept on trying to cheat Jacob. He changed his wages 10 times. I love this chapter, by the way. Fascinating chapter, Genesis 31. Every time Laban tries to outfox Jacob, he gets the short end. (laughs) And so Laban says, hey, Jacob, you know what? You can keep all of the sheep with spots on them. And he's looking out, there's not many sheep with spots. And then the sheep with spots Start to multiply. They're everywhere. So Laban says, no, 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 Jacob. Jacob, you can keep the sheep with streaks on them. He's looking out, there's hardly any sheep with streaks on them. And then what happens? All of a sudden, boom, the sheep with streaks on them are everywhere. Seems like every little baby sheep has it. Streak on it. Same thing happens with Jacob's son Joseph. Genesis 50, 20 tells us Joseph's brothers intended to harm him. They sold him into slavery. But what happened? God turns the tables on their evil schemes and he brings blessing out of it. Joseph kept, just kept on prospering until he, eventually he ends up being the number two man in all of Egypt same thing happened with Pharaoh. He tries to limit the Israelite population. Exodus 1.12 says, the more they are oppressed, the more they multiply and spread. Later, when Pharaoh tried to keep the Israelites from leaving, the more he tried to keep them there, the more God came against him. Till finally the tenth plague cost Pharaoh, his own son, the crown prince. Same thing happened to Daniel. His enemies were gonna throw him in the lion's den. Daniel chapter six, God turned the tables on them, right? And Daniel's enemies ended up being eaten by the same lions they had prepared for Daniel. Isn't that amazing? Same thing happens in Esther with Mordecai and the Jews. The evil Haman hatches a plan to destroy all of the Jewish people, but God turns the tables on him, and the evil Haman dies on the same gallows he had prepared for the Jews. Oh, the futility of seeking control. (laughs) Whether you try to control a situation and make it come out a certain way or whether you try to control people and make them do things in a certain way, you know what? It's an exercise in futility. In fact, the more you try to control something, the less control you have. It's the principle of reverse returns. So what's the solution Friends, the solution is to pray. The solution is to pray. Acts 22.10, Paul asked Jesus, what shall I do, Lord? What shall I do? The Lord says to him, get up and go into Damascus and there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. As I have shared before, in college I had some lofty, Political ambitions. And when I graduated, I kind of, you know, mentally had my whole plan mapped out, you know, at 25, I'm going to be doing this. At 30 years old, I've been doing this and 35, you know, have you ever done that? You know, you know, I should be, you know, making about such and such money and I should be able to do this and I should have this kind of a house and, and so on and so on. April 12th, 1980, one o'clock in the afternoon, fourth ballot at the political convention. It all went up in smoke. (laughs) And uh, I took three days to fast and pray and seek God. And at the end of those three days, I felt God saying to me very clearly, go to Chicago, enroll in seminary for one year, and then I'll show you what's gonna happen after that. So I did. You know, folks, the more you try to control things, the less control you really have. Instead, try the wisdom of Proverbs 3:5: Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what does it say? He will direct your path. Go to Chicago. <laughs> Go here. Take this job. This brings us to the third step downward step in the decline of King Saul and it's the finality of opposing God. Friends, this is the continual sin monster. Not the sin monster. (laughs) You're sinners, I'm sinners, we're gonna sin. The monster is continual sin. That's the monster. And that's the problem that Saul had. Verse 14 says, in everything David did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Saul's problem wasn't so much that he disobeyed God. His problem was that he kept disobeying God. After all, David would disobey God big time as well. He not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, he had her husband murdered. I'd say that's pretty big. And there were consequences that were pretty big. The palace of David was constantly in turmoil. David's daughter Tamar is raped by David's son Abner. David's son Abner is killed by David's son Absalom, who then rebels against his father and Absalom is killed, and then David's son Adonijah tries to overthrow his father, and he too is killed. The sword would never depart from David's household. But get this, David humbles himself, and he repents, Psalm 51. Friends, that's what God calls us to do when we sin. David says, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. And then he begs, God, create in me a clean heart, oh God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Friends, that's the road back when you sin against God. So let me ask you a question. Are you like David when you sin? Is your conscience soft? Is your conscience tender? Are you broken over your sin? Or are you like Saul? Have you ever hardened your heart? Have you ever seared your conscience so many times you don't even feel guilty anymore? That's what Saul did. He got bitter against God which only continued the downward spiral. And the longer Saul lives, the deeper he digs his own grave. Look what happens. King Saul becomes an Ichabod figure. You know, you go back in 1 Samuel to chapter four, the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant. Israel's priest Eli and his two sons all die. At the same time, Eli's grandson is born, and his mother, seeing all the tragedy that has befallen, names him Ichabod, which means the glory of God has departed. (laughs) There's a lot of Ichabod churches out there today. You know what I'm talking about? The glory of God left 10 years, 20 years, 30 years ago. So sad. The reign of King Saul has Ichabod written all over it. The glory of God has departed. I wanna plead with you today, don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. You know, the question is often asked, will we see King Saul in heaven? And there's a lot of doubt about that. Because the Bible says, 1 John chapter three, verse six, it said, no one who lives in him, lives in Christ, keeps on sinning. No one who, what does it say? Continues to sin has either seen him or known him. The problem isn't sinning, guys. As long as you have breath, you're gonna struggle with sin. That's why Jesus taught us, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus put that in the Lord's Prayer because he knew we would have to constantly be praying that along with give, me, uh, give us our daily bread and lead us not into temptation and all. Those are ongoing things. You're gonna blow it, you're gonna blow it every day. You're gonna say things that you shouldn't say. Look at things you shouldn't look at. We need to come to the Lord and beg for his forgiveness. The problem is continuing in a state of sin. The problem is hardening your heart, searing your conscience, giving in to bitterness, continuing in a state of rebellion against God. Now, it's hard to deny that Saul did exactly that. He was a rebel. The day before he dies, he contacts a witch. And the next day, as the enemy is bearing down on him, Saul takes his own sword and he falls on it, commits suicide. So does his armor-bearer. You realize that there are seven accounts of suicide in the Bible. These are two of them, Saul and his armor-bearer. The others are Abimelech, Samson, Ahithophel, Zimri, and the only one in the New Testament, Judas. Now, it is clear that suicide is not an automatic ticket to hell. We know that because Samson made it to heaven because he's in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Nevertheless, for Saul, his suicide is a sad and bitter end to a sad and bitter life. I close with this. In Free to Thrive, Ben Bennett tells a story we probably can all relate to. Not being appreciated happens in lots of different ways, doesn't it? On a beautiful Saturday morning, when Ben was 15 years old, he woke up, texted his friend Cam, want to hang out today? Cam quickly replies, yeah. Yeah. Not sure what I'm doing today, but I'll let you know when I figure it out. Couple hours pass, Ben hears nothing. Finally, he texts again, no reply. 30 minutes later, he calls, no answer. Hour later, he sends Cam another text, nothing. Finally, Ben hops on his skateboard, heads over to Cam's house, mile and a half away, pulls up at Cam's house. There's Cam out in the driveway doing tricks on his skateboard. His friends, Taylor and Joe, are with him. Hey guys, I tried texting and calling, but no answer. Cam just shrugs his shoulders. My phone's been on silent. For five hours, Ben thinks to himself, when you knew I wanted to hang out? And then Joe said, with a sneer on his face, You can't just come over uninvited. And suddenly it all made sense to Ben. His so called friends wanted to hang out, just not with him. Have you been there? I sure have. The sting of rejection, the cold shoulder the pain of being left out. So before we're too hard on King Saul, let's take a deep look inside. It hurts when we're not appreciated for who we are and what we've done. It hurts. So I wanna encourage you this week, take some time to appreciate the people who have blessed you. Take the time to say thank you, to look them in the eye and say, you were there for me at such and such a time, and I appreciate that. And then I wanna encourage you, take the time to appreciate your maker the lover of your soul, the one who gives you the ability to take breath every day. After all, there is a hole in your soul that only the Lord can fill. St. Augustine put it like this, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee are you resting in thee?